we're spending a lot of time using our mental and emotional energy to solve problems that aren't really there or to focus on things that we don't actually have control of. So if we spend all of our time focused on what's going to happen in the future or something that's happened in the past, we actually are taking the control away from ourselves to live our life based on what we want it to be. Because the only place that we have to make a difference and make an impact is in the present moment. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Today on Wisdom for Wellbeing, I am joined by Dr. Jessica Borshak. Dr. Jessica is a registered clinical and health psychologist, author, and wellness enthusiast who works in private practice. Author of numerous books on acceptance and commitment therapy, including the award-winning book, The ACT Approach, Dr. Jessica provides ACT trainings for mental health professionals and brings ACT to the public through Busy Mind Reboot. Dr. Jessica founded Busy Mind Reboot to help individuals access affordable methods of learning evidence-based practices, tools, and skills to get unstuck from their busy minds and live their best self. You can find this wisdom at busymindreboot.com. Today, Dr. Jessica introduces you to the difference between pain and suffering, and so openly shares how you are not alone in any of the painful experiences of this humanness. In fact, she shares her own journey through and towards whole health. Dr. Jessica talks through strategies to create a meaningful life and integrate yoga as a method to help you connect with the present moment and cultivate whole health itself within the framework of acceptance and commitment therapy. This interview is educational, inspirational, and actionable, so enjoy. Just a quick reminder that the Wisdom for Wellbeing launch party is happening on social media, so you can go to drcaitlin.com and you'll find all the details of how you can join in and perhaps go into the running to win a prize to support your body, mind, or soul. A very special thank you to our lovely partners that are supporting this launch party, and you're going to learn more about some of them later. But without further ado, here's today's interview with Dr. Jessica. Jessica, welcome to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. I am delighted to have you here today and to get this chance to yeah, hear, hear your knowledge and understand more about the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. I think this is a wonderful thing that you're doing and it's going to be having a lot of really fantastic content. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I guess just to start things off, Jessica, would you mind just sharing a bit about, you know, yourself, the work that you're doing? It doesn't have to, um, you know, go into too much detail as I'm sure we'll start to pick things apart as we go on. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a psychologist in Canada. Um, well, I'm, uh, I've most recently been in Canada, but I'm originally from the States, but I'm in a group practice right now. So I see clients, uh, you know, every day, that's my the main work that I do. But I've also been working on the side on some other projects. Um, I've written a couple of books, both for mental health professionals and uh, for uh, people who I think will probably be your audience, so people in the public, just helping them learn some skills 
when working with my clients, I've noticed that a lot of the information out there for people to read on their own or listen to, whether it's podcasts or books, tends to be very jargon heavy and overly complicated for no apparent reason. So my some of my work with Busy Mind Reboot is trying to take some of that great evidence-based work and break it down into bite-sized pieces that people can can take away something and actually understand what's going on rather than feeling like someone's lecturing at them all the time. I would love you to explain a little bit about what a busy mind is. And then of course we can go in and talk about um, the busy mind reboot program, but the busy mind is such a common experience, I think, and maybe describing it will allow the listeners to identify bits that, that might be showing up in their lives. Absolutely. So when I say busy mind, what I mean is just if you have a lot of stuff going on in your head, it could be related to things that are happening outside of you. So, you know, the holidays are, you know, coming up and, and passing, you know, the new year, there's lots of deadlines and family events and a lot of stuff going on around us. And sometimes that can consume our attention. And then sometimes there's stuff that's happening inside of us. So this is thoughts, feelings, memories, physical sensations that show up. It might be distracting us from what's actually happening in the moment. So people who experience busy minds might find themselves getting distracted a lot, might find themselves thinking about either the past, so going back and looking at mistakes they've made, situations that have happened, and kind of picking them apart or jumping to future potential scenarios, planning, um, rehearsing what they might say, what they might do, and really getting pulled out of the present moment. Uh, and I think a lot of stuff in our society today is, is kind of reinforcing that. I mean, I get sucked into my phone all the time, yeah. uh, Instagram, Facebook, all of that kind of stuff. And it used to be that our minds would get really busy when we had a very specific problem. We'd spend that time focused on that issue and then we'd let it go. But these days people are finding some difficulty kind of letting go of that busy mind and being present. That's a really beautiful description. And you really highlight how this has shifted over time that, you know, our phones, you know, different social media platforms, I guess our capacity to, get drawn into what could be happening in the past, the future, rumin I guess, well, there I go using the lingo again, but, you know, thinking, of thinking those, about stuff. Yeah, thinking about those things that have happened in the past and future and being taken out of the present moment, which is perhaps where an individual might like to be, to be able to engage in things that matter to them and to make mm -hmm. an impact in their life and cultivate the life that, that they're feeling, you know, suits their desires in their heart. Absolutely. And sometimes, so I'm, I'm not saying by any means that planning for the future or looking back on the past and identifying maybe what went wrong so you can make a change is bad. We're not kind of going into this good or bad, right or wrong place. It's more what you had described of the ability to be present when we want to. So what's happening now is we're spending a lot of time using our mental and emotional energy to solve problems that aren't really there or to focus on things that we don't actually have control of. So like we could plan for some future event to happen, but we can't actually do anything about it until it happens. And so if we spend all of our time focused on what's going to happen in the future, 
or something that's happened in the past, we actually are taking the control away from ourselves to live our life based on what we want it to be. Because the only place that we have to make a difference and make an impact is in the present moment. That's really beautifully put, put, taking our control away from actually living our life um, in, in this moment. So taking our own control away, which is interesting because it often feels like our mind is drawn to these places and we don't have control on that. So mm-hmm. I think you're alluding to it and getting into the idea that there are some strategies we can use to empower ourselves in these moments. Absolutely. So I've, a lot of times people will, will describe being in their heads or doing all of these things that feel like they're taking control, but it's, it's just an illusion. So for example, um, let's say you're stressed out about, uh, about maybe you're traveling and you have a hectic traveling plan. Maybe even you're going on holiday. It's like an exciting thing, but your mind is super stressed out about it. The first time you come up with a plan of, okay, you know, my flight leaves at at seven, I have to get to the airport by five, which means I have to, uh, you know, start getting everyone out of the house around 430 because we're slow. We always forget something. (laughs) Um, The first time we do that, it's super helpful and effective. We've come up with a plan to better make an experience uh, smoother, to have an enjoyable holiday. What happens is, Every time that thought comes up about like, oh no, I don't want to miss uh, my flight. I don't want to be late for the airport. Remember that time such and such, you know, kept us delayed and we missed our flight. The more times we go over that, all it's doing is giving this illusion that we're in control by making us feel better, but it's not actually helping us solve the problem because we've already come up with a plan for it. So one of the first things, even when I'm working with clients one-on-one is helping them recognize what is something that's within my control and what is something I'm doing just to feel a certain way. So a lot of times we might um, plan, come up with to-do lists, rehearse things, look back through past scenarios and kind of pick out all the ways that we're awful, Um, or we might do things that other people could see, right? We might watch Netflix, we might cancel plans, we might, you know, obsessively write to-do lists or pack and repack stuff. All of those behaviors give us this feeling or this sensation of being in control, but it's actually taking us out of control by just reinforcing us being stuck in our heads rather than living our lives. Okay. Okay. So people might be able to observe some of the things we're doing, like you mentioned the Netflix and, um, you know, I suppose other things we might be doing like drinking or, you know, perhaps working in a way that is no longer effective, like working um, beyond the hours that would actually support us in moving towards our goals and, and maintaining a healthful life. Or it might be things that people might not necessarily see from the outside. So different thoughts that are going on in our head, maybe picking ourselves apart and thinking and um, dwelling on, you know, this thought that I'm such a failure or whatever may be um, indicated by the individual. Is that kind of the gist? <laughs> That's exactly it. I like to think of it kind of as this loop that we accidentally feed into. So at the beginning of the loop, or let's say maybe the bottom of the loop, we have a thought, a feeling, a memory, or a sensation. So it could be, um, you know, I'm such a loser, 
let's let's pick a thought um in response to that thought because it feels so like no one likes to have thoughts like that no one likes to remember things that are painful um or to feel like a physical sensation like i've had panic attacks before they feel awful right like sometimes people feel like they're dying when they have these sensations so it's natural for us to want to get away from them so we might do things whether it's in our head or in the world um, to escape from them to avoid or to hide right we might go to sleep we might drink uh, we might keep ourselves busy with work until we're so exhausted that we pass out and so what we do in response to that thought i'm a loser it helps in the short term to escape from that thought because we get to kind of hide and pretend it's not there for a little while but it doesn't actually make that thought go away all it does is kind of set us up for when we let's say sober up or wake up or have to go home from work or you know come up with a to-do list in our head we're right back in that place where oh i'm a loser and if while if the behaviors we've been doing to avoid right if canceling plans with our friends or um not getting any sleep or uh you know, thinking of all the reasons why we're awful, if we're spending our time doing that stuff, it's actually going to bring up more of these thoughts and more of these feelings because we've been doing stuff to kind of feed the cycle. And so our goal is not to try to like argue with ourselves about like why we aren't a loser. Our goal is to recognize like, okay, this thought or this feeling is painful. What I normally do in response to it is actually not making things better. It helps in the short term, provides me a little bit of relief, but in the long term, it actually makes life more complicated. And it makes those feelings I want to escape from even bigger. And so can I learn instead to be in this present moment and sit with some pretty painful, difficult stuff so that I can move forward towards what really matters to me? Um, and that's for every individual to decide what what my values are might be different than yours, but both of them are meaningful. There are some amazing points in there, Jessica, and I, I'm interested in unpacking them. You know, it might take a few step by steps, but one of the things yeah. you highlighted was how universal this experience of suffering is. And it wasn't that you said, you know, some people might suffer with these thoughts or these, you know, feelings. You highlighted that this is something we will all experience. Obviously, it will present different for each of us, but at some point in time, we're all going to have really unhelpful or uncomfortable thoughts that are challenging or experience uncomfortable physical sensations. And you, you know, shared your experience with a panic attack and how uncomfortable and challenging that was for you. So I wonder if the listeners will be interested in just understanding the universality and the humanness of this experience of suffering. And then I'd be interested in linking this into some of the work that you've done around integrating yoga with acceptance and commitment therapy. But before we get there, perhaps perhaps we could unpack what acceptance and commitment therapy is, because I think this is a beautiful framework and will link nicely to this experience of suffering that we all navigate as human beings. Absolutely. And so a lot of the things that I've been talking about are related to, so, to acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, uh, as we call it kind of in the short, short phrase. And 
actor acceptance and commitment therapy is at its core recognizing that all humans suffer and recognizing that sometimes in our efforts to escape from experiencing any pain, we actually bring on more pain and suffering in our lives. A lot of times I'll have clients come to me and they'll say, maybe they've had a panic attack or they've, or they've struggled with depression or experienced trauma and they want to never feel bad ever again. And I have to tell them, like, I can't help you do that. Not because I'm not like the best psychologist ever. Um, <laughs> Which I'm sure you are. <laughs> absolutely. No, there are many wonderful mental health professionals out there. Uh, but because that's not something I know how to do. We, by nature, experience suffering. And if you look at even like art, like if you look at music and movies and poetry and all of the beautiful things in life, a lot of the themes that they have is a, a theme of suffering and moving through suffering and coming out the other end stronger. Uh, in books, that's called, you know, the hero's journey, right? The, the mm -hmm. hero is in a, a bad place. They're down and out. They go on an adventure. They find out things about themselves. They learn how to let go of, of some maybe difficult weight they've been carrying around and they move forward not as a magical superhero who never has any problems but as someone who's learned how to carry some of their pain with them and i think acceptance and commitment therapy is very beautiful in that way you don't have to be completely perfect in order to start living your life your life a lot of people will talk about like well when i no longer experience panic attacks then i'll do all these things that i want to do when i'm no longer depressed then i'll go out and live my life when i no longer experience chronic pain or i'm not caring for an aging parent or you know you could come up with a million different examples of the ways that people suffer but we set up this context where i can only live my life and make my life meaningful when I no longer experience this like painful, yucky stuff. And what ACT says is like, well, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> Pain is a part of life. And our goal is not to live in existence without any pain because that's not possible. Our goal is to say, hey, we all get different pain. It all matters. What do we do when that pain shows up and how is that serving us? How is it, you know, the word we might use is like function, but it just kind of means like, how does that work? Right? So if you're feeling depressed and then you go drink a lot, how's that working for you? In the short term, it might be super effective, right? If you're, maybe you're happy drunk, maybe after you drink, you um, pass out. And when you're sleeping, you don't have to think about all of the difficult pain in your life. But then when you wake up again, that pain's there. And maybe now not only is there that, that original pain, but there's this other pain and suffering that gets built on top of it. And so ACT kind of talks about pain and suffering differently in that we all experience pain. And then the suffering is this stuff that kind of gets piled on top that makes this pain so much harder to deal with. And that comes from our unwillingness to acknowledge and sit with the difficult pain that does show up. Okay, so it's the idea that we all experience as human beings pain and that sometimes mm -hmm. our ways to manage that pain, to cope with it, 
can cause additional suffering. So a secondary layer. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we all do this. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. Like, I'm so awful. Please do not use this as another way to punish yourself. We all fall into this trap, myself included. Me too. Exactly. We are, we're designed to do that. Like, no one likes experiencing pain. And for thousands of years, we used to spend all of our time focused on external threats and not feeling pain. And pain always a lot of times came from things outside of us, like lions and tigers and bears and um, another village of people who are out to get us, you know, other predators. And so we didn't get as sucked into all of this suffering. Sure, there was pain, but now that our life compared to, you know, thousands of years ago is much safer than it used to be, not to say it's not not 100% safe, but safer than it used to be. We start occupying our mind with a lot of threats that are more relational and more social. Uh, and so our minds are threat detection systems. They're designed to identify threats. And if there are no current threats, to figure out how to avoid threats in the future. Uh, and because these days, a lot of our threats to our self and our well-being have to do with um, isolation, with exclusion from people, with uh, you know, losing jobs, with things that involve other people, we end up spending a lot of time in our head worrying about more relational things that have happened in the past and the future and, and more judgments on ourself rather than saying like, how can I go to the grocery store without getting eaten by a lion? Yeah. So it's a more straightforward of a problem to have. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned earlier, like the social media and how it can get caught in the Instagram, you know, scrolling and things, which in some ways might possibly be a distraction technique to avoid some of those uncomfortable feelings as they're coming up. But I wonder if that also plays into then some of the perceived threats, you know, around not meeting certain, you know, social standards that we, we see and might believe in that moment, you know, to be everyone else's experience or reality rather than, you know, a curated um, social, social display. Absolutely. I mean, I think about what it must be. So like I didn't have, I had social media growing up, I guess Facebook, maybe I joined Facebook either when I went to college or like right before I graduated high school, like we, like I would message my friends and like, like AIM. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of, you weren't seeing so much constantly of what everyone else is doing. And I, can, I imagine how hard it must be to be a teenager and to see not just print media now, like magazines, which you might see every once in a while when you go to the grocery store, but you know, Instagram and, uh, and Twitter and Facebook and all of these different, I'm sure there are other things that I'm not cool enough to know about, but all these other social media <laughs> platforms where you see people who appear perfectly curated. Their lives are wonderful. Their relationships are wonderful. They're beautiful. And we know from people now starting to kind of peel back the layers and going like, oh, actually I have mental health problems. Actually, you know, it took me an hour to make my face look this neutral. 
uh, to look this natural, and I have all these filters in place. And if we're constantly bombarded with this idea of perfection, even though it's a fallacy, of course it's going to bring up more insecurities in ourselves because our mind is going to go, you can't compete with that. And you can't because that doesn't even exist. It's not real. But it's hard for us to tell now with all of the filters and airbrushing and pretend that's happening online that we experience constantly. Uh, my phone shames me every day, every week, by telling me how much screen time I spend on. <laughs> it's a good system to have in place, though, a bit of a reality check. Exactly, exactly. It's like, oh, you're down 30 minutes per day. Awesome. But we have so many more opportunities for stuff that can be really painful to come up now. And so many examples that seem like we are, we are lacking. But what we don't realize is we don't actually know what that person's internal experience is, right? So we're experiencing inside of us thoughts, feelings, memories, physical sensations that might be really painful. And then we're seeing the external view of this other person, but we don't know what's going on inside of them. And I imagine if you got the chance to put yourself behind that person's eyes, you would know that they also have a lot of pain that they're carrying around. It may be different than yours, but it also might be eerily similar. You hear all the time, like models and actresses talking about how, uh, you know, they think they're ugly or they don't think they're very good at what they're doing despite all of their success. And so what that proves to us is that it's not like you get to a certain level in life or a certain level of success, whatever that means, and then poof, all your pain goes away. <laughs> yeah, which is a really interesting point, isn't it? You said get used mm -hmm. to it, but also this idea that we yeah, do project as to what someone else's experience is like. And if mm -hmm. I could get to that level or where that other person is, you know, evaluating ourselves in regards to our own achievements, as well as perhaps on some sort of a social hierarchy that we've created, we might learn that in actuality, what's most important is learning to deal with our pain, our experiences as they are right now and doing what we need to do to create a meaningful life for ourselves because it's not going to vanish at some certain level. Exactly. And how empowering is that though, to say like, yeah, I'm struggling. I have pain. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life and I can take steps today to connect more with what matters to me. And sure, it might not be some glamorous, uh, overnight success kind of thing, because that doesn't really exist in real life. <laughs> Again, the reality check. <laughs> but, but how amazing is that to say, like, I, I'm struggling. Maybe I don't feel like I'm at the best version of myself that I can be. But even in that state today, I can start taking steps to slowly move towards the best version of myself that I can be, to live a life that is meaningful to me, whatever that is. I think that's actually way more empowering and feels way more in control than constantly battling with your mind and trying to argue with your mind so that it just gives you a little bit of quiet and peace. That's really beautiful. As you said, really empowering this idea that no matter what is going on for us in this moment, no matter the difficult thoughts, feelings, sensations, we can still choose to take a step towards creating a life that is meaningful for us. So a life by our own design and in alignment with our own values. 
Just a reminder that our launch party is happening at Dr. Caitlin on Insta and at Wisdom for Wellbeing Pod on Facebook. Thursday to Sunday, you could go into the running for one of three body packages. Each is comprised of one mix and match lipstick pack from Catherine B. C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-B.com.au creates luscious products made with organic and wildcrafted ingredients, therapeutic grade essential oils, all comprised for deliciousness on your skin. A pair of natural rubber flip slide sandals in the winner's chosen size and color, flipslide.com.au. Rebecca has built this company to offer sustainable, slow fashion sandals. Each winner will receive a handmade purse from the lovely Jess at Designs by Dukes. It's Designs, D E S I G N S B Y D U K E S dot net. Jess puts her creativity into each item she creates. She personally crafts jewelry, bags, and lovely plant hangers. Finally, the winner will receive a vegan nail polish created by the inspired mama Tiffany at Nailed at Tiffany's. N A I L D A T T I F F A N Y S dot com dot A U. Tiffany's polishes are free of toxins and capped with sustainable cypress wood. They also plant a tree for each and every polish sold. Please head to drcaitlin.com forward slash launch TCS to read the full launch terms and conditions. Thank you so much for celebrating launch week with us and good luck if you are participating in our giveaway. And I wonder, will we be able to perhaps link in because you've done some amazing work around mindful yoga-based acceptance and commitment therapy. So integrating this practice of yoga, which I think is topical as you know, more and more people are hearing about the practice of yoga and some of the benefits associated with it, you know, alongside, you know, we, we talked about social media and all of the things that are happening in our world right now that might be contributing to the increased psychological distress that we as a population are experiencing you know depression is now the leading cause of the global burden of disease and maybe maybe some of these other tools and integrating them with traditional therapies could be a benefit so yeah I guess on that note I might I might hand it to you to to just share a little bit about the practice of yoga and and its relationship with ACT. Absolutely so a big part of ACT is helping to build present moment awareness. And this isn't just mindfulness. So mindfulness is, is a more maybe uh, traditional practice. A lot of people think of like um, eyes closed, meditations, those types of things. So when we talk about present moment awareness, it, it even kind of goes beyond mindfulness just to being present in the here now. Uh, and it's as simple as that. It's as simple as noticing, oh, my mind's daydreamed off to what I'm gonna have for dinner. I noticed that and I brought it back to this moment and you know, the sound of the fan and you know my reflection in the window and all of that kind of stuff, just for one moment. That's present moment awareness. And what it helps us do is it helps us become more aware of and more connected with the type of life that we're actually leading because we can't interrupt these kind of loops we get into. We can't live a life full of meaning, which happens in the present moment, if we're not present. And so there are a lot of different ways that we help 
people become more present and mindfulness is one of them and people a lot like it's become a very hot topic word like corporations now are talking about mindfulness and I always chuckle a little because I have no idea what they're actually doing um Like a good a good app, for example, that people might have heard of is like Headspace. Um, I I use Headspace mm-hmm. personally, uh, and all of these practices are designed to help people connect with what's happening in the present moment. They usually do them by, for example, focusing on the breath. The breath, if you're trying to start becoming more present and kind of sitting in this moment, is a great starting point because the breath until the day you die, will always be with you. Yes. It might be fast, it might be slow, it might be labored, it might be um, you know, calmer, but it's always going to be with you. And when we think about how we can start bringing in more of these experiences, we want to be present not just in stillness. So a lot of meditation, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of present moment exercises are seated eyes closed in a kind of calm, non-distracting environment. And that's great. Having a formal practice is wonderful. I highly recommend it to folks. But there are some individuals who might have difficulty with that practice. Maybe they struggle sitting still. Maybe they're kind of, they're someone who's very restless. They're always on the go. They struggle, you know, quote unquote, relaxing. And so being still for a moment and focusing on sensations, maybe that feels very overwhelming. Or maybe, um, so for example, I've in this past year gone through a lot uh, and been struggling with a lot of trauma symptoms. And there was a period of time where I was having nightmares daily. Uh, I was having panic attacks a couple of times a week. And focusing on my breath and focusing on physical sensations was actually very distressing to me because it kind of hyper-focused my attention on something that was already feeling a little bit threatening. And so at that time, I gave myself permission to set aside my kind of seated practice of meditation and wanted to find some other ways to incorporate this. And so I think ACT and yoga blend very well together when we view yoga as simply a mindful movement practice. So it's, it's present moment awareness in motion. Yeah. We do, yeah, we can do this through going like on a, on a walk. I always encourage, as long as you feel safe in your environment, to like walk around a neighborhood or a place that you've been to a million times and really try to pay attention and you'll be astounded by how many like little details you see that you've never noticed before, uh, it's it's a lot of fun fun to do actually. It kind like of like a new adventure, you... isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we used to. I worked at a, a VA hospital in San Diego for a brief period of time, and we used to. They had this. Um, rooftop garden and we'd walk around and you'd notice all these little details. There was like a ceramic frog in, a, in one of the potted plants and oh, actually this is a mint plant. So if you lean close, you can really smell it. All of these things we otherwise become oblivious to because we're focused on something else. And yoga can be another way that we practice present moment awareness if we're noticing how our body moves. But above and beyond that, because yoga, uh, at least 
uh, you know, in Canada and the U.S., it's very exercise focused. Uh, so you'll see people who are at various levels of fitness doing lots of athletic bendy things. Uh, it's a good practice for practicing sitting with maybe some of that pain and discomfort that shows up. Um, so for example, if I've been out of yoga practice for a little bit and I go to a class, I might be in the back thinking to myself like, oh man, I suck compared to all of these people. Um, or I might think like, oh, I'm embarrassed because I can't do the exercises that all the other people can do. And if I'm trying to escape from that thought or feeling, I might push my body to do things that it really shouldn't be doing. Um, that could be, could bring on injury, right? Forcing my tight muscles into a position that they don't really want to go into, uh, holding a position for too long, maybe causing my shoulders to hurt. But if we can practice this more mindful way of engaging with yoga and being present, I can notice, hey, my body's telling me that today's not the day that I'm going to land this pose. And can I sit with that discomfort and practice being kind to my body? Can I focus on you know, my value of health and, um, you know, self-compassion and ease up on this practice a little bit today so that in three months from now, I can improve because I'm not off from doing yoga for a month because I, you know, tore something because I was trying to look as cool as everyone else because I felt insecure. And so there are lots of different ways that when we show up to a yoga practice intentionally, that we can draw in these different practices of act related to being present, you know, focusing on our breath and how our body moves, noticing maybe judgmental thoughts or uncomfortable sensations in our body and learning to sit with those and breathe into those and still be uncomfortable. Um, but giving us that practice to come in contact with some maybe uncomfortable stuff that feels a little bit more safe than something that might seem very extreme, like a, like a trauma memory that maybe is a little bit harder to sit with or, or depression or a suicidal thought. It can be a introduction to practicing some of these skills. That's really beautiful, Jessica. So what you describe is using yoga as a present moment awareness exercise. So using yoga as a mindful movement practice itself. So an opportunity to notice what's going on, what's coming up. And it can be not just, you know, that thought of, oh, I'm a loser. I can't do, I can't do the pose, but also the physical sensations and being able to then respond in a kind, compassionate way to ensure that we nurture ourselves, that we aren't injured. I'm also wondering, you know, you were describing your experience sitting at the back, perhaps, of the hypothetical mm -hmm. yoga class, and you <laughs> have very real yoga classes, <laughs> very real yoga classes. So at the back of the real yoga class, um, and you have all of this amazing knowledge of acceptance and commitment therapy that you would be able to integrate in your practice. So I wonder for someone who may not have this background knowledge, I guess, do you see the benefit then in integrating yoga and act as a practice 
a holistic practice together, you know, where a therapist might guide someone in this practice of yoga with the framework of ACT to help utilize yoga as a, um, a strategy to in, instruct the movement towards present moment awareness and developing the capacity to manage the pain that an individual might be experiencing. 100%. I always say that the, the first step in any kind of change is noticing what's happening right now. Noticing the patterns that are showing up in your life right now that are maintaining whatever difficulties you're facing. Because we can't interrupt and change something if we don't know what's happening in the moment. And I think yoga is a beautiful introduction to that. And and I also want to say that when I mean yoga, I don't just mean like downward facing dog and like warrior one, things that might look to someone who's never done yoga to seem like, oh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as like mountain pose is grounding your feet, is you're standing, your feet are grounded, maybe your toes are slightly spread and your palms are uh, you know, facing forward with your arms down next to your side. So almost kind of like you're standing in a relaxed pose, but you're having some energy and, and some intention in your posture. Uh, and that is yoga. <laughs> That's a really beautiful point, isn't it? That, you know, what we, again, going back to social media, you know, some of the mm-hmm. fancy things we see there may not actually um, be as empowering if we think that that's what we need to be able to do to engage in a practice of yoga. In actual fact, standing in mountain pose, you know, that pose with your feet flat on the ground, lengthening your spine is going to be a fantastic opportunity to practice. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised by what uncomfortable things show up. Uh, A lot of times when we're feeling very overwhelmed, we have a tendency to kind of fold into ourselves. So we might tuck our chin, we might cross our arms. Um, Some people, for example, will take like the palm of their hands and press it into their chest, almost as kind of like, um, like the same way a weighted blanket might work to kind of ease some anxiety. We kind of press on our chest a little bit. We might cross our legs or droop our shoulders. And standing in mountain pose is a very open posture. And for someone who's feeling overwhelmed, but maybe not able to describe that, maybe they, they, don't, they feel a lot of busyness or a lot of sensory overload, but it's not distinct enough for them to be able to like, articulate or say, like, I'm feeling this sensation. Just standing in that pose, that mountain pose, and being open and noticing what's showing up that can be a very challenging exercise for someone. And it might help you pay attention a little bit more because maybe you can't say, you know, I'm feeling a tightness in my chest, but as you're standing in this open pose, you might say, oh, I feel this desire to want to cross my arms, right? I feel, yeah. I feel my shoulders starting to, to curl forward and need to kind of hunch a little bit. And that can help make you a little bit more aware of some sensations or experiences that were always going on, but that you weren't in a position to be able to notice them because you were putting your physical body in a place that felt maybe safe or comforting. So we kind of were able to ignore some of those sensations. 
That's really, really interesting how the physical body conveys these messages and given the opportunity to take that um, step, I suppose, inward to actually observe that and notice that there might be some layers that can be explored through that process. And if an individual is perhaps not at the place where they're comfortable to do this alone, this is where engaging with a therapist or, you know, a support person might be helpful in this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, if you're, so in your, if you're in a therapy room, you, you may have a therapist who has a yoga mat and has some space and you do some practices where you move your body um, in a way that mimics what you would maybe see in a traditional yoga class, right? And maybe traditional, <laughs> in, a, in a more exercise, aerobic-based yoga class. <laughs> Good description. Um, but your, your therapist may also do practices such as, you know, standing in mountain pose and your therapist may like if I do that exercise with a client I will stand with them Um, and I might ask the client you know does it feel better if I'm looking at you would you prefer that I'm looking at the ground sometimes eye contact can make things feel more vulnerable Um, or you might be seated and your therapist instead of just doing or maybe to round out the end of a mindfulness exercise may just have you raise your arms above your head and then, you know, bring them back down and notice how your body maybe bends or flexes as your arms raise and lower. Um, So there are many ways for therapists and clients to work together in a therapy context to bring this practice into part of their, of their healing process or their growth process. That's really beautiful. So it's this integration, you know, that even in a seated meditation practice or mindfulness exercise to explore what's, um, what's unfolding, you know, ultimately stepping into this place of present moment awareness, some movement might be integrated that we might label as, as yoga. Um, and ultimately, you know, you use the words mindful movement earlier. Uh-huh. I wonder if this might be a good place to just touch on, you know, how the health of our physical body and the health of our mental body may be related in this concept of whole health and ultimately how yoga might be a tool in both service of present moment awareness and cultivating, cultivating this state of whole healthness, if, if I can use that as an adjective. Um, absolutely. I like it. Whole, whole healthness. <laughs> Well, I think for a long time, um, mental health followed a very medical model. And um, the medical model is designed to take a person and divide them into different parts or systems of functioning and look at symptoms within that specific part and really look at part of a person. And in a lot of ways, that's been helpful for the medical system. I think now that we've started to, uh, more and more people are experiencing more Uh, chronic conditions, so things like diabetes, um, things like autoimmune diseases, things like heart disease that you see symptoms kind of spread out throughout the body, that taking a more whole body approach, even to medicine, can be very effective. And one of the difficulties that mental health had is we became very symptom-focused because that's what medicine did, and that worked for medicine. Um, And what happened is we've noticed, I mean, if we look at even uh, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, so the DSM, which is what, um, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, we use to give people diagnoses. Um, 
for depression, you could have two people who are diagnosed with major depressive disorder who have wildly different symptoms and maybe even present in different ways, but they're both experiencing a same kind of like theme around suffering. And so I've seen a shift, especially in the last few years in mental health and in health in general, where we started to look at like, hey, all of this stuff is connected. Especially when we look at, like I, uh, two years ago, or I guess two winters ago, um, I was struggling with vitamin B12 deficiency and I felt super depressed. I felt very like sluggish. I was tired all the time. I felt very low mood. And I was also having weird physical symptoms, like my nails were kind of flaky and I had no idea what was going on. And I had some things going on in my life at the time where I kind of just assumed it was uh, mental health because I'd been struggling with depression. And working with a doctor to identify, oh, no, you're experiencing a B12 deficiency helped alleviate some of these emotional mental health symptoms. Similarly, you will see a lot of mental health professionals prescribe things like diet and exercise as a way to help cope with uh, and f- have your body come to a place of, of balance and settling down a little bit if you're experiencing maybe de- depression or some very highly activating symptoms like anxiety or trauma symptoms. And I think we've begun to realize more and more that all of this is integrated because we're one person and (laughs) not separate parts so much anymore are we exactly right and and they influence each other right even research on gut health and understanding the gut microbiome and how it talks to the brain there's so many things happening inside of our body that we don't even have a clear understanding for yet we're still at the very early phases of discovery and i think it does a disservice to both the medical and the mental health fields it and ourselves as individuals and as communities if we divide people up into all of these different symptoms instead of saying like okay something's happening that's affecting your whole system in different ways how do we move forward and i think everyone's begun to start adopting these ideas you know medical doctors will talk to people about exercise and yoga and, and meditation and uh, mental health professionals are, are doing the same and making sure people are getting their physicals, you know, going to doctors, getting your blood work done, exercising, managing weight, healthy weight, all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, it's really beautiful, isn't it? To have this communication, you know, we know that our body's communication systems are so bi-directional and here we're talking about how, you know, the medical practitioners and the mental health practitioners, how, if there's this open stream of supportive communication, working together holistically, it almost mimics what we know is happening in our mind and body themselves. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if someone, and you know, medical and mental health are just two parts of that system, right? There, there are also, you know, our social systems and there are our spiritual systems. So if we, you know, I'll have clients who um, are um, very involved in their faith um, and I might encourage them to talk to a faith leader about something that we may bring up in therapy, but that they might be able to get a different perspective or a different sense of uh, connection or, um, relief in talking to that person. And it's, it's not saying 
that I know everything and I am the knower of all things and I can do everything. It's saying like, hey, I know, I know what me as a mental health professional can offer you in terms of tools and support and perspective framework shifts. And now I can also say, and I can understand how all of these other different systems might be beneficial to you. Um, and a lot of times I will have conversations with clients about how to bring up a topic with their medical professional or um, encouraging them and telling them, yeah, it's okay to make, um, to, you know, talk to your faith leader, um, maybe after a service or, or asking them if they have one-on-one -on -one appointments, which a, a lot of them and different faiths do, um, or recommending them to go to a yoga class at a yoga studio that I know um, does a really good job of bringing in this kind of mindful full, full yoga. And so by having this whole health approach, we can say like, okay, this is what I can do for you, but here are some other things you might not have thought of that I think might be helpful in creating a full picture. And that's what we want to do is, is create a full picture of everything that's going on and acknowledging, hey, some things are going really well. <laughs> and here are some things we may, might want to improve. And this is such a rich area and an area I know you are so passionate about. So we've talked previously about how this could be a longer conversation and we might have oh, to unpack it in more detail in another episode. But I just wanted to grab one snippet out of there just because sometimes people hear, you know, the word yoga or mindfulness and there's um, an assumption that there's a spiritual practice associated with that and what you highlighted in that conversation was that if someone does have a spiritual faith you can encourage them to connect in with you know the appropriate person to support them in that realm and that some of these practices that are offered in acceptance and commitment therapy that they are not spiritual in and of themselves, that it's a secular approach. And if people have different spiritual practices, they can integrate these practices within a framework that is in alignment with their belief system and structure. Absolutely. And, and honestly, when we talk about like making meaning out of life and values, right? So values are like who and what matters to us in our life, the qualities or characteristics that we want to be about, like how, what do we want to spend our time doing and, and how do we want to be in that moment? For a lot of people, those values are drawn from our, our faith, our culture, um, spirituality, and there is absolutely a place for that in the work that we're doing, but someone could just as easily pull their values maybe from um, what they've witnessed in their family um, or what they've they've learned through different experiences that they've had that's not faith influenced. So it's a very flexible approach that can, can adapt to be incredibly inclusive because it's uniquely about each person uh, and each person's values. And so there's always a room for, for all different beliefs and ideas, but you don't have to come in with a certain ideology. We're not going to push any certain ideology on you by any means. Um, we're just going to give you tools and a framework that then you can pull in what's already important to you and use that as a guide. 
That's a beautiful way of putting it. So it's a framework offering and then people can individualize it, you know, um, in concert with their therapist, or perhaps I just want to wrap our conversation up today by sharing a bit more about the Busy Mind Reboot, because, you know, we're entering 2020. This episode is going to air in the start of our new decade. And I feel like, you know, particularly the conversation we've had today really does highlight how busy a lot of our minds have become. And statistically, we know that we are struggling more with, you know, emotional um, and psychological distress than we have been in the years past. So would you share about your offering of, of Busy Mind? Yeah, absolutely. So my creation of, of Busy Mind Reboot really came from uh, I used to work in a primary care mental health integration setting. And so essentially what that is, is folks would go to see their family doctor. They might talk about feeling sad or feeling stressed. It's a word people would use a lot. And they might not be in a place where going to see a therapist was kind of the the first best move for them. Maybe they just wanted to talk to someone once or twice, um, or they just wanted to learn some additional skills. Uh, and so a doctor would walk them down to meet with me. I'd meet with them for like a 30 minute session. We'd talk about and plan and give them some different skills and they'd go on their way and they were able to implement those tools in their life um, where otherwise they wouldn't have access to those resources. And so, I saw more and more a need, like as you had talked about, people are stressed out. And not everyone has the time or the resources um, or feels comfortable seeking out a mental health professional. And those, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we'll have to discuss that in future, yeah. So many other things. Um, but, but I can only control what I have what is in my control. And so what I decided to do alongside seeing clients individually is develop a 30-day online program where it's, it's very brief. So every day someone gets a 10-minute video, a 10-minute mindfulness practice, and a little um, task or exercise to do during the day. So I created these little um, phone wallpapers that people can download and put on their lock screen because as we've already talked about, we look at our phone a bazillion times a day. <laughs> yes, um, we do. And, <laughs> That's perfect. And, and the skills really build over the 30 days in the same way it might if you were coming in to see a therapist. Um, but it's done in, so all of the videos are pre-recorded. You don't have to show up at a certain time. You don't have to interact with another human being. You know, you can watch it at a time that feels comfortable to you and go at a pace that feels comfortable to you while still having access to evidence-based work. Because a lot of people who are filling this gap of, of, of individuals who are experiencing some stress or strain in their life but aren't for whatever reason uh, seeking therapy, or maybe they're in therapy and looking for um, something, maybe they're tr transitioning out of seeing their therapist and looking for some kind of maintenance tools, um, is being filled up with individuals who aren't necessarily using evidence-based practices. Now, you don't have to be a mental health professional to, to have knowledge and to be able to share that. There's lots of wonderful people out there sharing really important information, but there's also a lot of people sharing a bunch of nonsense. Uh, and I wanted to create a, a safe, inexpensive 
place um, and a tool that's easily accessible so that people can kind of get out of their heads a little bit and start living their lives and not having to wait until something gets bad enough that you take the time or money or whatever it is to seek therapy. Um, because we, we tend to be very reactionary in this country rather than proactive. Um, I don't know if it's, it's the same where it's you the are. the same but... in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, it seems like until we kind of get to a crux, maybe we, we haven't taken that action. So hopefully anyone listening right now who's thinking, well, like things are okay-ish, maybe this exactly. would be sort of the prompt that things could perhaps be more in alignment, that there could be additional moves, skills you could be implementing to create that life that is meaningful for you and this is you know a beautiful time surrounded by all the energy of new year's resolutions and you know while that's probably um, a debatable concept <laughs> as well i think it really shines light on the fact that we are often seeking new ways to to honor ourselves and to move towards the things that are important to us so what I'm thinking, Jessica, is I'll put a link to um, the Busy Mind Reboot in the show notes, but people could also sign up to become Busy Mind Insiders, where there's no cost involved. They sign up for you know, your free webinar and they'll get um, monthly resources. So maybe I could also put that link in the show notes as well, if that worked. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you go to busymindreboot.com and you sign up, there'll be a link there. Sign up to be a Busy Mind uh, Insider. Every month I send out a newsletter. Uh, honestly sharing a lot of my own personal experiences going through this practice so you can see what it looks like. I have worksheets, I have meditations, I have a free uh, webinar that with little cute animations that I spent a lot of time trying to, to create to look nice um, that you can access completely free uh, in order to, to start this journey. And then if you decide that you wanted to take it a step further and join the course, if you are a busy mind, re, uh, busy mind insider and you watch the webinar, you can get a um, very large discount on the course itself. The course is normally $99, but um, I have it discounted for new subscribers down to $29. So, oh my goodness, that is like a New Year's gift in and of itself. <laughs> yes, I, I really want to make this accessible uh, to people. I mean, this is, my, my main job is, is private practice, um, but I wanted to offer up something to someone, even if it just helps one person develop some skills to suffer a little bit less in their life, then it, all of it was worth it to me. That is really beautiful. And that is such a generous and beautiful note to finish on, Jessica. I am so grateful for your time and your sharing today. And I have no doubt that listeners are going to want to follow this up further. So as I said, everything will be in the show notes, but hopefully they can also yeah, take these steps forward to creating a meaningful life and implementing the skills that you've shared as well as the skills that you're offering through a Busy Mind Reboot. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating such a wonderful space. I am very honored to be a part of this. Oh, it's been, it's been my pleasure. So thank you for delighting with me and having this wonderful chat today. I hope that you found this interview with Dr. Jessica as inspirational as I did and that you feel ready to take action to create a life that is meaningful for you. I love how clearly and accessibly she explains the concepts of ACT. 
Hopefully, it might have inspired you to move into mountain pose mindfully and engage in such practices to cultivate a sense of pure awareness. I will put some of the details of mountain pose and a couple of other yoga poses up on the show notes, which can be found at drcaitlin.com. And there you'll also find links to Dr. Jessica's amazing work, including the Busy Mind Reboot and a full episode transcript. Now, as we continue in this special launch week, tomorrow we will release another Wisdom for Wellbeing episode. Subscribe now and you'll get to hear from David Allen the developer of Getting Things Done, a time management and productivity system that allows you to free up your headspace to truly be in each moment, rather than having to be constantly making decisions about what you should or should not be doing. I think all of us with a to-do list that's a mile long could benefit from David's wisdom and the Getting Things Done system. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.